The title of the message this morning is Operating the Anointing in Our Lives. I could have also called it Understanding the Way the Anointing Flows Through Us. So the scripture reading that we're going to use to help us with this is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. Here we find two incredibly informative stories from which I believe we can draw some good understanding. So let's enjoy reading these scriptures together. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers unto me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turned to the crowd following him, and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Here's the second story. Soon afterward... Jesus went to a town called Nine, and his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread through Judea and the surrounding country. May God bless and quicken his word to our hearts. We're going to look at these two narratives and specifically in the way that Jesus allowed the anointing on his life to flow through him in the way it was going to impact the world around him or the way he operated his anointing. So first, and really as an introduction, I want to take a few minutes talking about this word anointing to bring it into focus. If you're a fairly new Christian, it's an odd word. 
It's a word that we love in the Christian traditions, but it is an unusual word. So I'm just going to take a few minutes to talk about it. Then after that, there'll be a few commentaries on the healing of the centurion slave, and then we'll get to Jesus as our example. The word anointing, as I've said, is not a common word. Don't overcomplicate it. It simply means the enabling by God to do the work that he's put in our hand to do. Don't make it more complicated than that. It's not a tingle in your pinky. It is just God's enabling to us to do the work that he's called us to do. It's not an airy-fairy word. It is where the spiritual and the practical join forces in the way we are to live our daily lives. The anointing is grounded in our dailiness. Uh, Psalm 92, the psalmist said that he would be anointed with fresh oil every day. And you heard your pastor ref that kind of feeling that we can have of freshness. We don't need to live stale because of the glorious imparting of the Holy Spirit and the anointing he brings into our life day by day. Next, and this is very important, it applies to all. It's not for an elite group. It's not just for the pastors. And it doesn't indicate some spiritual superiority. To say, I'm in the anointing, or I'm flowing in the anointing, or I feel the anointing, doesn't create spiritual superiority. It's just what it says. I have the anointing. It is the indwelling presence of God flowing through us. Now, here's something. We may sense the anointing at varying levels of intensity at different times in our life, but it is an ever-present life flow from the indwelling Spirit of God, and we can stir it up and we can apply it to any aspects of our daily lives. We can create spaces in our lives in which the anointing can be nurtured, For some of you, it can even be a literal space, like sitting in a certain armchair for 10 minutes um, around a certain matter, around a certain time of the day. In that space, we are intentionally nurturing the Holy Spirit flowing through us, either about life in general or in connection with specific areas of our life. And the areas that I feel to note, and we're going to reference them again at the end of the message, even things such as lesson plans for teachers, diagnoses for doctors, designs for architects, new projects for entrepreneurs, or insight about our children for parents. We never take this anointing for granted We don't treat it cheaply, it is to be treasured, and it is to be nurtured. It's appropriate, of course, when we talk about the anointing to align it with the Holy Spirit. And I would say this, that yes, there are times when the Holy Spirit will come on us. It came on Mary, and she said, may it be unto me as surely as you have spoken. But I'd suggest to you that that is rare, and it is according to the divine plans of God. Um, I have walked with the Lord. I gave my heart intentionally to the Lord when I was seven. So I've walked with the Lord for a very long time. And in the 64 years that I've walked with the Lord, I've had that visitation one time. 
and I'm standing here because of it. So don't wait for something spectacular. Live in the incredible legacy that we as believers have of the indwelling spirit. We are not to live paralyzed spiritual lives waiting for some on thing. We are to live freely with the Holy Spirit almost as our spiritual ligament holding us together day by day as we walk daily with the, with the beautiful enabling of God to do the work that he's put in our hands to do, yes, we may sense varying levels of intensity. But don't take that as being, he's come and now he's gone. He is indwelling, praise God. Just one more insight into this love-drenched enabling from the heart of God into our daily lives, and it's simply this. It's a mystery. Never lose, never become common with the Holy Spirit. It is a mystery. And here's what I mean. The anointing confines and constrains us to live circumspectly. So we must be careful. But at the same time, it frees us to live expansively. Like I say, it is a mystery. It is both sublimely spiritual and incredibly practical. So I just want to leave you with this one sentence uh, before we leave this introduction. Don't let yourself be cheated by any thoughts that the anointing is haphazard or an uncertain commodity in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. These two stories provide us with a window into the way our Lord operated the anointing in his life, and I'm looking forward to getting to that. But first, I want to just give you five little bits of commentary. If you read Luke 7 and the story of the centurion, it certainly throws up a few questions in my mind. So I want to cover those before we move into the comparisons between the two stories. And here's the first one. When the agents came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him and they said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And I just want to be very clear about this. That is human thinking. The opposite is true. Because of the unfailing love of God, because of his mercy, we live every day beyond what we deserve. You ask any servant of God who stands here and, say, and ask them, do you deserve the blessing of God as you stand here? And every one of them will say, I stand here living way beyond anything that I deserve. If ever we get into thinking that we can save up some spiritual dollars and go shopping for God favors, we are totally misunderstanding this incredible God of grace, this generous God of goodness. But what the centurion's generosity did attract was the willingness of the Jews to advocate for him. Which brings us to the second commentary I want to make. Can we be very impressed by the interracial honoring that went on here? The Jews didn't like the Romans, even though they knew that the centurions were generally regarded as quality citizens. So this story hangs on the fact that the centurion and the Jewish elders lived beyond racial segregation. 
I just like that point and I'm happy to make it. The third commentary I want to make is this, that the centurion was clearly a man of high prestige, but we see that he was a man of a lowly heart. He knows the power that he carries, but he's willing to submit himself to a poor Jewish rabbi. I want to say this, that humility is a winsome quality when it is seen in the demeanor of the powerful. Fourth, there's just five. Here's the fourth. This story also reveals two men who had a right understanding of authority. Both the Roman and the Jew, Jesus, could simply say a word. And even from a distance, their authority resulted in action. And what we are to take as an example from this is that Christ and the centurion exercised their authority with the well-being of others in mind. And then finally, I want to comment on something that is very fascinating to me, and it's, I have to say it's an opinion more than anything that I can declare as factual. I call it the mysterious ways of God. From Luke's account, Jesus and the centurion never met, yet Jesus recognizes the worth of this man And if you are aware of the fact that the same story is written by Matthew, um, in that story they did meet. But it's in the the mode of literature of the time that um, the agents, these Jewish elders, were left out of Matthew's account. Luke's account is the accurate one when it comes to the detail of this incredible healing. So Jesus and the centurion never actually met. Um, Also... Even though the centurion had shown love for the Jews and had built them a synagogue and he now sees the healing power of Christ, there's no record of him ever becoming a follower of Christ. Now he may have, but don't you think that scripture would have recorded it because it's so profound? There's no record of him ever actually owning the lordship of Christ. And here's what I want to say to all of you, to me. In our dealings with people who have not yet owned the lordship of Christ in their lives, we must still advocate for them before the Lord. We may not see their salvation, yet let us never doubt that God sees them. He sees himself in them because they've been made in his image. He knows their worth and at any time he can minister into their story. I hope you find those short commentaries interesting. So now let's get to Luke 7, verses 1 to 17. This is all, this has in it, Jesus raising people from the dead. And we should never be ho-hum about that. It is awesome. But I want us to consider for the next few minutes that here we have these two stories giving us insight into the way Jesus operated the anointing on his life. He was anointed to be the Christ. And that anointing flowed through him beautifully in the way he noticed people, in the way he cared for people, in the way he interacted with people. He was free from all partiality. He was accessible and he was able to function. And this just does me in. I love it. In full head mode or in full heart mode. So when he's with the centurion, He's in full head mode. 
And then he's with this weeping widow and he's in full heart mode. And in either setting, he is authentically himself. Isn't that beautiful? Within these two healings narrated by Luke, we find I have found five contrasting responses by our Lord to the human condition. And as I've already said, he remains true to himself, true to the anointing on his life. So what I think these contrasts simply teach us is how to operate the indwelling anointing as is appropriate to the settings in which we find ourselves. So there's five of them. The first one, we see Jesus operating the indwelling anointing in the way he connected with people. So we're going to take that on board as in the way we connect with people. So when the centurion was having his engagement with Christ through the agents, he, the, the conversation was formal, it was intellectual, and it was rational. When Jesus was with the widow, and for her there was far more at stake, Jesus didn't try to sit her down and go through the same strict teaching. All he, all he saw was a woman who was desperate and that she was raw in her emotions. Yet Jesus related to both with empathy and with awareness of how they were wired up. How simple is that? And we're reminded, I'm sure you're thinking of John 11, where we have the story of Jesus with Martha and Mary at the point where Lazarus, their brother, has passed away. And Jesus comes towards Bethany. Martha runs out to meet him. And Jesus has an intellectual conversation. In fact, he imparts to Martha the most magnificent theology. And she handles it. She talks back to Jesus. They have a wonderful conversation. And he goes a little further towards the home and Mary comes to meet him and she falls down sobbing and weeping and scripture simply says, Jesus wept. It's another instance where Jesus raised somebody from the dead. That was his plan all along. But he does it. He shows us how expansive his understanding of the human condition really is. I want to say to those of you who are praying for family and friends, you can trust our Lord that he knows how to connect with your loved ones according to that person's makeup, according to their circumstances, according to their emotional construct, and I would say according to their levels of curiosity. And he will give you the wisdom to cooperate with him with the way his anointing is flowing through him to reach into their hearts. I heard somebody once put it like this, that God has the right bait for the right fish. <laughs> he is mindful of their circumstances. Yes, he's, a, he's mindful of their emotional construct. Yes, he's mindful of their levels of curiosity. And I want to add this. He's also mindful of their levels of damage. It is God's kindness that brings people to repentance. And our precious Lord knows exactly how to reveal that kindness. Praise his name. The second contrast that I see 
is in operating and how we are to operate the indwelling anointing in the way that we place value on human life. The widow couldn't get another son. So you can kind of understand why Jesus would want to raise that young man from the dead. But here's the fact. The centurion could get other slaves. Yet Jesus didn't see that slave as expendable. He saw him worthy of healing. I love the fact that Jesus placed value on both lives. And I would simply say this. We must never be drawn into a rationalization about who is worthy of salvation or worthy of healing. Uh, I'm sure I've done it too, but, you know, we could have in these healing prayer meetings coming up, I could hear myself saying, let's pray for so-and-so because they're really important. Let's pray for so-and-so. They've got such a destiny on their lives. And I'm just seeing that Jesus would never do that. And perhaps we shouldn't either. Perhaps our stance should simply be we are privileged to pray for all believers to really pray for all. The third thing I see is that we are to operate the indwelling anointing in the way we assess another's worth without partiality. See, the centurion would have had wealth, provision, and quality of life, whether his servant had lived or died. But Jesus blessed the wealthy man anyway. The widow was facing no wealth, no provision, and no quality of life if her son died, and Jesus blessed her anyway. Jesus showed no preferential treatment, no partiality. He assessed both the wealthy centurion and the destitute widow as worthy of blessing. I don't think anyone should ever say, I've got enough now, you can bless somebody else, God. I think God is just Jehovah Jireh. He's just willing to pour out from his bounty on all. We just, Father, I'm just opening my heart on behalf of my brothers and sisters here. There are people here who they don't understand why heaven hasn't opened up and bounty has not been poured out yet. They have great need. They've been asking for a long time. So, Jehovah Jireh, stir yourself. Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing they cannot contain. As a little sidebar, that brings to mind a moment I had in about, around about August 2017. I was driving north of Brisbane to go and preach in a church and um, I was crying out to God. There was a lot going on. And so I was literally crying and crying out to God. And I heard myself say, oh, God, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing I cannot contain. And then it was like I stopped crying and I stopped talking. And then I just went, because up until now, I have been able to contain all of your blessings. <laughs> I kind of don't think it was a problem. The next comparison is operating the indwelling anointing in the way we... Now, this is important. In the way we make space for how others handle human suffering. So with the centurion, Jesus was deeply impressed by his calm, 
statesmanlike response to his servant's illness and likely death. With the widow, Jesus was deeply impressed by her sobby and messy response to death. Jesus didn't judge one response as more appealing than the other. Whether we are calm and orderly, or emotional and messy, or all of that, be encouraged that Jesus is deeply impressed by what's going on, fully aware, and without judgment, we never have to tidy ourselves up for him. The way some people handle human suffering can be confronting, particularly when understandable anger or rage is involved. We are not to be turned off just because we're uncomfortable around them. A reasonable, unuttered prayer at some times goes a little bit like this. In other words, we don't say it out loud to the people, but we can say to ourselves, Holy Spirit, let your anointing flow through me according to their need. I feel insecure right now, but you know how to meet them. And of course, sometimes not only do we say that prayer quietly, but sometimes we don't say anything at all. A hug is all that's needed. Sometimes physical distance is important. But I want to say this, that people in pain don't owe us a sanitized response to what they are feeling. I'll just say that again, that people in pain don't owe us a sanitized response to what they are feeling. People in pain don't have to make us feel okay. And that's what I see in our Christ. And then the last one is this. We operate the indwelling anointing in the way we assess another's faith levels. The centurion was awarded a high accolade for his faith levels. And the widow, as far as the records reveal, didn't have any faith at all. And yet the healing power of Christ reached into both situations. Can we be careful about applying a formula about faith levels? If we have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, and the widow, by all accounts, didn't even have that, and Jesus met with her anyway, I'll just pause and say I've had the great privilege since 2014 of doing quite a lot of work in the Central Asian um, arena, um, which has um, become also um, Ukraine and some five nations across the north of Africa. And uh, these are young churches by any, um, any of our standards. The Ukrainian church is regarded as, a, as an adolescent church. And uh, I've been in Uzbekistan where the evangelizing of that church, the birthing of it, was um, by Ukrainian missionaries. So how, how delicious. Um, and I said to them, and this is absolutely nothing to do with the message at all, um, I said to one of the women who was, I was talking to when I was there, I made a comment about it being a young church, and she said to me, oh, we don't see ourselves as a young church at all. We see ourselves as connected to the church that 700 years ago was pushed into the soil. Wow. You like that? You like that, James? Yay. Anyway, one of the years that, um, so it's been my privilege to bring the keynote addresses um, at the gatherings, and one year um, to fit in with the teaching, 
I actually just got a bowl of mustard seeds and some little plastic bags and encouraged them to put a little grain of mustard seed into the little plastic bag. And they may not be able to put it into their Bibles. They may not be able to have Bibles. Their worlds are very um, fraught with danger. But just to keep it somewhere so they can look at it in case they ever get tempted to say this would happen. This would be good for me if only I had more faith. Think I've got enough. We mustn't assess another's faith levels because we'll probably get it wrong. So here are five remarkable contrasts. What do we do with these observations? Well, I have two takeaways. First, the way the anointing flowed through Jesus meant that he was as at home with those of high standing, high social standing, who were beautifully organized in thought and deed. And he was just as home with those of desperate circumstances who were drenched in pain and fear. And second, the way the anointing flowed through Jesus meant that he was brilliantly empathetic to the needs of another. He was never and is still never a one-size-fits-all Messiah. I'm concluding now. We may never need to stretch the rare and rather unused muscle of raising the dead. I did try it in Fiji years ago, and um, apparently he was only sick. took me years to recover. (laughs) But what if we allow the indwelling anointing to die or become non-operational? What if we fail to nurture the flow of life that is ours by divine impartation. Perhaps the encouragement from the Lord this morning, while it may not be to resurrect the dead, it is to resurrect the indwelling anointing. We can atrophy that anointing simply by not exercising it, not nourishing it, not nurturing it. And I want to say to everyone, but particularly young people, please don't wait until you think your behavior is cleaned up and scrubbed up before you say, maybe the anointing will flow through me. The anointing flows through all of us, no matter how flawed we are. It's a gift that comes to us. It's a gift that is given. And he never takes the gift away from us. It's a, you don't need to go down that rabbit hole of how that could happen. I can tell you now, the gift that, that came to you is resident within you. And we are the ones that dismiss ourselves as worthy of having that anointing flow through us. We know us. We go, oh, you wouldn't want to work through me today, God. Well, don't make his mind up for him. (laughs) I am here to say that it is valid for you to call out and stir up the anointing on your life. So we're going to finish with this prayer. Well, I'm not finished, finished, but we're going to finish formally with this prayer. And I want you to read it with me. God, show me how to bring the anointing that I carry to my work life, my business negotiations, my relationship. Teach me how to operate the indwelling anointing. So here is what we're going to do. 
and Alan has graciously given a little ministry time and we're going to utilize it. There are four groups of people that I want to pray for specifically to start with and I'll do them one at a time. I said that I was going to revisit an earlier list. So I want to pray for all teachers and then any educators. If you are in teaching or in education, will you please stand to your feet? COVID absolutely has wrecked educators in Australia, I can tell you. In the life group that I'm thrilled to be part of, there are four teachers and they are hanging on, but it is tough and hard keeping education alive, keeping the idea of learning alive. It has pulled and strained every muscle in the education system. And we know that it is groaning. So what I'm asking you to do, if you'd be willing to put one hand on your head, put another on your heart or wherever you would have a sense of spirit location. And for everyone else, join with me now. Oh God, oh God, oh God, these people whose job it is to excite others about learning. Oh, let them remember why they began. Lord, I pray that there will be a new level of excitement and engagement and enthusiasm. Lord, I pray that you will bring to life and stir up the passion and the ability and the capacity they have to impart knowledge. And I want to say to those of you who've lost your confidence, who've lost your confidence, if you feel to, just pop out to the front here and let Alan anoint you with oil. You're not to lose your confidence as teachers. You're not to lose your confidence as people who can adequately and ably do the job that you feel you've been trained to do. And some of you have just started to sit in your place, just needing the paycheck, but not loving the job anymore. And I want to say in Jesus name, start to love the job, start to love the job. Lord, I pray that there will be uh, your anointing will be stirred up in these people every day as they go to work, that they'll be glad that they've woken up and glad that they've got a place to go to, where they can impart life, impart knowledge, Lord, where they can influence others, particularly children, I pray. And those of you who are in educating situations where um, the people in front of you are largely adults of all kinds of ages, I would say to you, not only are those who educate children in a role model situation, but so are you, so are you. And Christ's life comes out of you into those other adults. And you may never realise until you get to the other side how much you instilled hope, how much you instilled hope in them. Oh, Spirit of God, let the anointing be stirred up in our educators, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And all of you nourish that anointing as busy as you are and as burnt out as you might feel, take five minutes every day. Just say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are the great comforter and you lead us to truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, those of you who are in education. And the next group was for doctors. And I want to make that now for anyone who's in any level of the medical field therapies, anything to do with administration in hospitals, if you have nurses, the whole box and dice, if you're in medicine at all, would you please quickly stand to your feet? Because this is our other massive burnout area. It's massive. They're caught up in red tape and the people writing 
the, I don't know what the language is, but the people creating the red tape, they don't know what they're doing either. It's a tough, tough deal. And you know that we are not only an aging population, but mental health is a massive situation. It's massive. Suicide through the roof. Figures are not good. Remember these people. Those of you older people who've got time to pray, latch onto one of these and start to hold them up before the Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you. Oh, Jesus, healer, I ask you. Stir and infuse these who are involved in our, in our, healing, um, in our healing pathways. Let them be encouraged day by day that when they reach out, when they speak out, they are you extended, whether or not they can say your name. The spirit world knows who's in charge. The spirit world knows where the impartation is coming from. Lord, I pray also for, um, for no, there's somebody here, I won't open my eyes only because I want to stick with what I'm feeling in my own um, thinkery, which is that... Um, there's somebody, maybe more than one, standing here, and you've got to start to hunger for advancement. You've given up trying, <coughs> but you've got to start to hunger for advancement. You've got answers. Just because nobody's listened up until now, don't let that stop you or paralyze you for going for um, advancement. In Jesus' name, I pray that these people will themselves be protected from every dark thought. Let them not take on or take home the agonies, the illnesses and the offences of those that they deal with. But rather let them come every day, wake up every day keen to get to work because your anointing has come upon them freshly. In Jesus' name, Amen. The next one I want to pray for, I had mentioned architects to get new ideas, new designs. But I want to pray for anyone who's involved in housing, building um, housing legislation, carpentry, I don't know, sticking taps in bathrooms. Anyone who's involved in that world. <coughs> Builders, yeah. You know that this is another crisis. It's a crisis in Australia and it's a crisis in New Zealand. And I'm just saying in Jesus' name, every one of you, Every one of you, I speak anointing into your lives to come up with solutions and ways and plans. Every one of you to see opportunities that others aren't seeing. We have as our God who first revealed himself to us as a creator. He knows how to create. Father, I pray now that your creative power will be infused by the spirit through everyone standing here. That there will be insights, capacities. Yes, amen. And this is the other thing I want to pray. There'll be no failures. In Jesus' name, no building failures, no company failures. Protect these people, Lord. Protect them as they are involved in taking care of a crisis in this nation. expansion. If you are a builder, if you have your own building company, would you just raise your hand? Um, it's kind of like just reach up because what I want to pray into your hand 
is expansion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't lose confidence. Lord, I pray you'll remove scales from eyes so opportunities will be seen. Thank you, Lord. Every one of you, stir up the anointing. Stir up the anointing. It's not for nothing that Jesus was a carpenter. Thank you. Be seated. And finally, the last one I made mention was of parents who need the anointing to know how to handle children. So what I'd like to do now is simply pray for families. If you are a parent, please stand to your feet. If I'd made it specific and said, if you're a parent with a child in difficulty, there may be a fewer number standing. But here's the thing. This is a community of believers where one suffers, all suffer. That's how it's got to be. When one family is going through hardship, every family needs to go through hardship. Every family needs to feel that with them. So I just think it's right for us to own the need for families, for parents, for parents, especially those of you who are mystified about how things have ended up as they've ended up. You go, God, I didn't know that I'd done such a bad job that it would end up like this. And then for those of you and your kids are absolutely thriving, praise God, may it stay that way forever. For those of you who've got children who are not doing well at school, not doing well in health, oh, as parents, we need to be with an, anointed with fresh oil every day. Reach your hands up to God. Father, I pray over every parent, particularly parents who are following you as the only Christian parent in the home. I pray for answers sovereignly, sovereignly delivered. to the questions that are confounding and baffling. Lord, I pray answers will be sovereignly delivered where appointments have been postponed that were needed to get answers. Let there be a miraculous turning of the circumstances so that appointments will be kept by the right providers. Lord, I pray that the homes of this congregation will be homes that are filled with peace and joy and delight. Pray, dear God, that there will be thriving in homes where it feels as if it's a a daily misery. In Jesus' name, I speak the joy of the Lord to be the strength of the home. Oh, let your anointing rise in every parent, every parent. There's no parent here who is not worthy of anointing, to rear children, every single one. Thank you, Lord. And if you could all just stand now, Holy Spirit, according to this ministry this morning, I pray that this will be a congregation where the gifts of the Spirit are stirred up and activated, where the Holy Spirit has free reign, where there is such a sense of connection between your spirit and theirs that it's as if there's no space between at all. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, amen.